Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, you want to win everywhere. You probably take it a little more personal one way or the other at home. Uh, things get a little more personal. You know, there's nowhere where I would probably despise losing more than here. Uh, it's harder to handle here, but it's also... Don't know if I'd ever enjoy wins as much somewhere else as I do here. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers. And I'm with Honky. Just happened to be part of the best three and three podcasts in the nation. <laughs> That's the truth. Also with Boomer. I'd just like to welcome back Honky, our special guest this week. And uh, just kind of wanted to speak out again with our special teams. No field goals this last weekend and just 85 yards of total punting. I mean, come on, guys. Wait, wait. I've just been handed a note. Uh, Oh, never mind. Forget it. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Also with Redcast Rob. The curse of Redcast Rob has been lifted. Thanks for not watching the game last Saturday, Rob. I appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. It was awesome. Uh, a lot of fun watching the real NU dismantle Hydrox NU to the tune of 56 to 7. Um, a victory that brings Honky back to the Redcast. We'll be doing a hybrid shows um, hopefully for the, the near future here with uh, Redcast, Betcast, all in one uh, for your easy listening enjoyment. Uh, Honky, um, you were at the game, uh, you're in the South end zone, um, and it had to be a fun atmosphere from beginning to end, um, for a change. And, uh, we have a, another one this week with another night game versus Michigan. Got to be excited, um, for that. Why don't we, uh, you know, recap this, uh, victory a little bit here though. What were your first impressions on that first play? The first play was amazing. The entire night was amazing. Really the, the, the game experience. It was homecoming weekend. There's a lot of good things going on. A lot of people were back, and the place was packed uh, well before the, the kickoff. And it was just a, a really great night for football. Uh, we had the wave. They had thunderstruck between third and fourth quarter. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun there. Um, regarding the game itself, I guess everything has to start with the let's keep a little perspective that uh, Northwestern is not the 85 Bears. But once you throw that aside – I don't really care about who the opponent was. That was the best game I've seen of the frost era. There's an old saying that, you know, one game does not make a trend, but we've started to see a trend with the defense and offensively. I mean, we're starting to see something that I've wanted to see for a long time, but the option getting Martinez rolling out, moving the pocket, all that motion is going to start making a difference here. They gave a lot for Michigan to have to prepare for, and uh, Michigan's going to have to cover the, the field vertically, but also horizontally. I was sitting in, a, in the end zone, so I had a, a really cool view of these plays opening up, and you saw holes opening. It, it reminded me of being at Colorado in 01 when they were doing that to us, and you saw all these counters and these gigantic holes right. in the middle. Every play, it felt like it was doing that, and a lot of it was based off of the backfield motion 
and receivers going across and the option look, that's what uh, I think this offense can be this second half of the season. That can be a dangerous offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I mean, you're right. The defense obviously has been growing over the last uh, six games. Uh, the offense maybe a little bit slower, but we did see some signs of this. And um, it really just kind of all came together against an, an overmatched Northwestern team, which um, Boomer, we were just talking before the show, we were debating <laughs> who would be favored between Northwestern and Illinois right now. And um, I, I, I don't know who, but it would probably be a, a pretty tight spread. And uh, it's very different outcomes, though, for Nebraska between those two teams. Um, what were your impressions? Yeah, that game to end the season for those two schools is bound to be a, a real barn burner. So I pity any of you who have to attend that game in person. So, but uh, like hockey said, this is not a good Northwestern team. Let's not fool ourselves. They're, I think, even one and four against the spread in their last five games. So, you know, they're not good. They don't have a lot of talent back. You know, it's a Fitzgerald coach team. So usually they're well prepared, but they were just not at all ready for option or anything like that this week. They just seemed out of place and out of focus. But this is what you want a team like Nebraska to be able to do. We'd, we'd ask for this kind of stuff all year. When you have an opponent that you should overmatch from the beginning to actually do that, they hadn't really done that against Buffalo or even Fordham to start. And, you know, Illinois, they didn't do it, but here they did. You come out from the very beginning of this game, you set the tempo, you're scoring right away. You're controlling the game. You're making Northwestern try to chase. And they are certainly not built for that. And yeah, it worked. So this is what you want to see. That's right. You know, Rob, uh, Boomer mentioned a couple of our other opponents that we did not blow out uh, 56 to seven, not even Fordham for goodness sakes. We struggled uh, running the ball versus Fordham in the first half, uh, only beat the Buffalo 28 to three. Do you put Northwestern, you know, I mean, they looked really bad last Saturday. Let's, let's face that. But I mean, like just from a talent standpoint, a coaching standpoint, they got to be on par with Fordham and Buffalo. They're probably better. Actually. That's just how much better Nebraska played on Saturday. I actually agree. I, I did watch the game um, actually a couple times here. I recorded the game at home. So I came home and I watched it until about two 30 in the morning on Saturday night. Well, Sunday morning, I guess you could say. And then it was on the 60 minute version of it was on again this morning. So I watched it again. And um, if you told me against Fordham, Buffalo or Illinois, that Martinez only had eight rushes for 50 yards. And one of those was a 30 yard touchdown. I would think that the game was a lot closer than it actually was, but Lo and behold, Nebraska had 427 yards of rushing against a traditionally good team that's a good defensive team in Northwestern. Um, I don't know what happened. I mean, they haven't been completely horrible this year in the few games that I've watched them play or a couple games that I've watched them play. So I want to believe in my mind, because Pat Fitzgerald is a good coach, that maybe this team is turning the corner, much like Martinez turned the corner on that 30-yard touchdown run. Yeah, that's right. And now, scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. Uh, I thought it was an improvement. Um, the, the big thing is uh, we came off the ball better. Our, our pad level was better. Uh, when we can generate run, a lot of other things are going to work. thought Teddy and Nuri both did a really good job, uh, particularly with that, you know, getting some movement on three techniques and one techniques and getting runs started. Um, thought the right side did too, but the left side played really well. Well, Hockey, let's, let's uh, dive into the offense with our scoring explosion and talk a little bit more about what you saw on the offensive side of the ball. You've already mentioned some of the keys there. Um, a, the option is something that's, you know, stands out to everyone, but also just with more traditional run plays, 
the changes to the offensive line seem to to work, at least against Northwestern. What do you see there with Teddy Prohaska and uh, Nuelli? Certainly, it was a spark, if nothing else, that provided there. I also think some of those calls, the, what Lubick and, and Frost did, helped a lot with their players. This is kind of the old, you know, is it X's and O's or Jimmy's and Joe's? And it's it's literally, it's both. You can't have one without the other. I think we probably got a couple new players in there that, that gave that spark. But all of that option, all of that motion, it's easing things when they want to run up the gut and there's chaos, a scattering is what I call it with the linebackers. When there's option and they're running sideways, that opens things up in the middle too. You know, So you can do things with the X's and O's to make things easier for your Jimmys and Joes out there. One of the things I would mention, and you guys kind of talked about in the last segment about different opponents that we played, what we did was we played clean. And if you looked at the stats, I, I threw out a, a thing on Twitter here the other day, and it was just comparing stats of this game to other victories in the Frost era. Uh, last year against Rutgers and two years ago against Illinois. The stats look almost identical. 600 plus yards on our end and keeping the opponent under 300 yards. But this game was 56 to 7. You know, the Rutgers game was 28 to 21. The Illinois game was 42 to 38. Why were we winning those games where we had these large margins of yardage difference? Why were we winning them by four and seven points? Well, you're turning the ball over. You have a ton of penalties, uh, special teams gaffes, and all of those things play a role. And they didn't have any of that in this game. And so what you ended up getting was a clean game with all the, the extra benefits that come with having a, a fairly explosive offense. 56 to seven is what those stats look like they should be. And it just shows how bad some of those other wins we've had. They were bad wins. <laughs> fair to say. And you had these great, you know, yardage stats, but you were just, you were biting your nails to the end and that shouldn't happen in those games. So maybe that's where we've turned the corner. Yeah. Well, uh, Boomer, one way to, um, you know, kind of take special teams out of the equation is to score touchdowns and touchdowns with long plays. And uh, that's exactly what Nebraska did here, right? I mean, scoring uh, eight touchdowns, Connor Culp made all ex- eight extra points, right? But, um, so, no uh, need for field goals, um, even from a short uh, distance uh, when you're getting 83-yard pitches to Xavier Betts or, you know, 38-yard touchdowns from from um, Samari Torre, et cetera. So, I mean, you have to like the explosive nature of this offense in this game. Yeah, and again, like you said, that's something we hadn't really seen a whole lot of yet this season, the way you want to. Um, that just keeps those drives from sputtering out when you could just score on a nice long play, gives less chance for the defense to make something happen and takes that whole field goal aspect out of the game and finally saw that happen. So I'm excited. Yeah. And also punts, right? One punt. Yeah, just one punt, but it was a good punt. So <laughs> yeah, he saved up like 12... three or four punts all into one. So yeah, it was 12 yeah. times better. If you think about that, he kicked a seven yarder last week and an 84 yarder. How much better were we this week? 12. We were 12, 12 times better. Times better. Uh, that's excellent. Well, uh, hockey, other things from the uh, offensive side of the ball, you maybe want to want to talk out a, a little bit more. One of the things that this takes you back to the 90s a bit, and it's just a mentality, but it's the downfield outside exterior blocking with the wide receivers, the tight ends. Uh, almost every one of those options, you know, Rob referenced that third and 10 where we did an option. Right. And I love the fact that we called an option on third and long you know, in a pass situation that, that right. we feel comfortable doing that. But on a play like that, there's Manning 30 yards down the field with a block. Chancellor Brewington is becoming, you know, a, 
a Mack truck with all of his crack blocks and everything. And we're doing that left and right. We had tight ends that were pulling around. I mean, it is just really an interesting offense. What they're they're starting to create with all this pre-step motion and everything. There's just a lot of interesting angles that how we're getting blocks. And what was it? The second touchdown. We're at the two-yard line. We have two tight ends to the left, Vokalek and Allen. And on the right, we have two wide receivers. And one of them is Brewington, who's coming into crack. In the backfield, we have Martinez. And to his right is Ramir Johnson. And Ramir takes off to the right, lead blocks for Martinez. That's right, yeah. So back in the day, I would have told you, you have to get under center at the two-yard line. That's the only way we can score because we couldn't spread a defense out enough. We couldn't run it right up the gut on team. So just get under center and you know get in the eye formation. But if you look at that formation there, two tight ends to the left, you've got to respect that if you're a defense. On the right side, you've got a crack block coming in here. You've got a lead block with your running back and you have Martinez running it. He went in untouched. But the defense, if they overextend to that side, well, you're giving up the the left side that has two tight ends. If you spread out too much, hey, we're at the two-yard line. We'll just go up the gut. You know, people think that you got to pass the ball to get people off the run. Well, you can't do that in the the red zone. There's not enough space to vertically put a defense back. This option and all these crackback blocks and everything that they're doing, we're spreading teams out, making them play sideline to sideline, and it's opening up the middle, like gashes in the middle. So- At the very least, look, Michigan's going to be a much better defense. We know that. And Michigan's now seen the same tape, basically, that I saw from the end zone. And they're seeing a bunch of stuff opening in the middle. Something has to give. When you run triple option well, and there's really options to go up the middle, and there's options to take it outside. I mean, if you're a good enough defense and you can stop all that, hats off to you. But there's usually something's going to give there. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So, Hockey, you mentioned uh, the, the pre-stab uh, motion and all of this activity, right, that ultimately mm-hmm. can can spread a defense out horizontally. I, I, I recall maybe as, as late as just last year, I mean, we couldn't execute some of that pre-stab motion. We would end up having false starts and all mm-hmm. this different stuff, you know, and and I mean, to the credit of this offense, right, and the progress that we saw over the last six games here is that they seem to be able to execute that now. Um, and it, it's a little bit different, right, in the sense that sure. we're not doing all that preset motion and then throwing to Wandell out in the flat. Yep. We we are having double tights and, and crack back blocking and all this type of stuff, but they are executing the offense as designed. That's a big difference. Yeah, it's not uh, new for me to talk about run-pass ratios, yeah. And, you know, to go through a game and have 73 offensive plays and 52 of them are rushes, 21 passes. I, I like that. That's a happy you know, honky. We're getting the quarterback outside the pocket. That makes things easier on the O-line. That touchdown pass they threw to Torrey, the, the last play that Martinez was on the field in the third quarter, that's max protection. They had Austin Allen out there and Yant. We haven't even talked about Yant yet in the backfield. They stayed back and blocked. That's seven guys in protection. You want to help your O-line. So you've simplified things there. You're making the reads easier. And as he's rolling to the right, the backside receiver that's coming across, I mean, you could tell right away in the stadium, you could see that Torrey was open. He had his guy beat. And Martinez pretty much sees him right away. And he knows that he's got him beat. He knows that he has plenty of time here. There's nobody coming at him. There's no safety dropping back. So he knows he's going to go to him. So he kind of settles into a, a pocket that has been rolled. It's rolled to the right. And then he sets his feet, gets set, and just makes an easy throw. Now, let's say a safety drops back and, and doesn't make it as easy to throw to Torrey. Well, he might just roll it out a little bit further. Now you're into a run-pass option. And I'll take Martinez in all of those situations, too. 
You know, I mean, he gets into a run pass option. Usually it's, you know, four or five yards at worst. And yeah. so it's just seeing us, you know, we were doing some of these same things against Michigan state a week ago too. I, you know, there was a fourth and three against Michigan state and we bill play action roll to the left and they had a spy. We heard all about spies a couple of weeks ago. What do you do with the spy? Well, he'll just juke him. I'll take Martinez in a spy situation in open space all the time too. What people misconceive sometimes with the option is, well, we don't want him to get a bunch of hits. We don't want him to get hurt. Where does he get hurt against Michigan State? It's a drop back pass that when it starts to break down, he scrambles and he's running right up the middle on a scramble and there's three or four guys converge on. Those where you take the worst hits. You know, look at the, the Northwestern guy who took the hit from Jojo Doman. Those are bad hits you know, on that sack. Sure, sure. Option hits. Most of the time you see it coming. You're running. You, a lot of times you're delivering a little bit of a hit too. I mean, I love option football so much. I know this is new to you guys. You've never heard me say this. <laughs> but to see us do it. I mean, like literally play, every play was being based off it. That passed to Manning to start the second quarter. That was an option to the defense. They had all the same motion. There's even a hole, a little hole that opened up in the middle of the field on the play right. action run or the, the little zone read, the first part of the triple option. And the only difference is that Martinez didn't extend the option. He just dropped straight back. So it looked like play action on TV. But really from the, the defense, everything looked like it was option. And there's Manning going across the field from right to left. Martinez throws a perfect pass over the shoulder. And Dave, where does that pass get thrown, you know, a couple of years ago, if he throws that exact same pass, which was perfectly caught over somebody's head, way over someone's head, right? Cause six foot four Manning catches it in stride. Unfortunately, you know, Wandell or Spielman, that would have gone off into the, probably into the sideline somewhere. And yep. that's just because bigger catch radius. I mean, things are kind of starting to come together there and it's about time. <laughs> well, I do want to get to, to Yant and hear what Rob and Boomer want to, want to talk about with our, our new featured back, maybe. But uh, Ramir Johnson may have something to say about that. But mm-hmm. before I get there, Honk, just a little more X's and O's on the on the option part of it. It, it is interesting that, I mean, we've been talking about the orbit motion thing that we you know started to see more and more this year, especially initially with Torre. But now it's like every wide receiver. And it's not just... The orbit motion, they 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 motion all the way back to an eye back position. So yep. I mean, Omar was playing eye back for a, a down bets. Torre, whoever is out there, uh, mm-hmm. is potentially an eye back coming out of that wide receiver. I don't know who else in the country is doing that right now, but it is a little bit interesting, right? It's really it's the quality of what Martinez can do as an option runner. I was saying this back, yeah, you were that early. It's Martinez is he's dare I say? I mean, got knock on wood here. He's kind of like an elite option runner. And I'm talking about like he was making pitches against Fordham where he wasn't looking. Now, I don't care who the opponent is. It had nothing to do with it being Fordham or not. It's he was making pitches to a to somebody that he's not even looking at. That brings back traces of, sure. of how Frost used to run an option. I mean, there's a talent and a skill to that. And I, and I never thought that Martinez was that, to be honest, a year or two ago. I just thought he was a talented runner. But, you know, the option's a very specific skill set. And takes a lot of reps and everything. He's come a long way. Uh, when we first started doing it, it didn't look good at all. Uh, he's really gotten comfortable with it. Um, I, I like it for the, the fact that it gives us an opportunity to get the ball in his hands without just calling run plays for him. Uh, he can avoid hits that way. One of the best things about Saturday, he didn't. I think he only got tackled a couple times, and um, keeping him on his feet is a big part of uh, our success going forward. He looks like he's getting it down, like really mm-hmm. well. 
And some of the stuff that they're doing now that when they're motioning to your point, they're motioning behind the quarterback. They're basically motioning into a pistol set. We did yeah, more pistol right. and yep. Yant. When you guys talk about Yant here, Yant out of the pistol, that's a downhill running formation for that big guy. And uh, I'd love to sit here and say that I called Yant, you know, back in the spring, but I didn't real. I, what I've been saying about Yant was this guy's a situational back. You know, he's not going to get a thousand yards. He's a situational guy. Some of the things I saw in that game. Now, again, it's only one game, so it doesn't make a trend yet, but he showed feet that were pretty nimble. He showed his hands are pretty good. He caught a, a short side option pitch and he made some plays. I was like, wow, that's a first down play, a third down play, not just a, a short yardage guy. Right. He's in there for the whole drive. Yeah, yep. that's right. Well, apparently Rob uh, Yant is down to 232 pounds. So, I mean, he's not the 250 that he was uh, or, or 260 almost. So apparently he showed up to the fall camp at, but I mean, to hockey's point, that first run, the 64 yard run, was a real eye-opener because uh, he showed power, yeah, but he also made a guy miss. He duped him, and then he ran away from a couple of guys, and then he stiff-armed the guy and just took him for another you know, 10 or 15 yards. He had to love that, right? I, th- I think he actually picked the guy up and carried him with him. I think he <laughs> – Yeah. I, I mean, he did. He had, he had him, and I think they re-showed that run a, a few times during during the broadcast. And, um, I mean, yeah, Honky, honky knows. When, when I was watching him run – in the spring game. Um, I couldn't shut up about him. He was my Omar Manning of 2021. <laughs> you just kept um, yourself just, in check this year. I was, I was, uh, I was a little bit kind of a man crush right away on, on this kid, you know, and Honky's right. I, I was feeling the same way. Like this guy will be a great situational back. He's only a freshman. Let's get him in. Let's see how much playing time he gets. But you know, when it's first and goal, second and goal, third and goal, third and short, throw him in the game, get that yardage. Um, I never saw him as being, the bell cow for any game at that. I mean, he ended up with what almost 127 yards, almost 10 yards per carry. Yep. Um, you know, that of course, you know, when you have a 64 yard run like that, that's going to happen, but he was pretty much in, in anywhere is unstoppable on Saturday. I am curious to see exactly how frost continues to use him. If he continues to use him like that, or if maybe they've just seen too many things where they just wait, they say who's playing well and that's who gets the carries. Right. Because I even mentioned it in the game today when I, when I was watching it again about step and how, you know, the first guy out there after that long run to congratulate, um, yeah, after his long run was step. He was yep. on the field, 20 yep. yards onto the field, hugging him, high-fiving him, chest bumping him. And, you know, and his step only ended up with something like five carries for 30 yards. Right. And they were mostly at the end of the game in junk time. But at the same time, that's the stable of running backs that, that we have on mm-hmm. this team that are just going to be able to keep running the ball like that. Well, Rob, what, what did you think about how hard step and Morrison ran at the end of the game when they got in, in, in junk yeah. time, you, they weren't pouting. They got out. No. Those dudes ran hard. And it's almost like what Yant and Ramirez are doing is setting a bar, a level in that room. And those other guys, like there's no reason to complain about your playtime, play better, earn it. The competition's on. I, I think it, what it comes down to too is, this team is learning how to finish a game. Dare I say it? I mean, and that's exactly what and it start, was, you know, yes. I mean, in the past, in the past, start right. Like, you know, start and finish. Yes. But, but even here, it was like, there was no give up in this team for this game. It was probably the f- most, I would say aggressive. This team has been on offense and on defense as a combination. The best special teams is when you don't need your special teams. Right. Yep, and sure. it just felt so complete. It was probably the most complete game of the entire Frost era. 
and, and watching the game and not once at any point did I think to myself like, Oh God, you know, Northwestern is going to make a comeback because even when they finally scored their touchdown, it was still 21 seven, you know? And, and I think Honky a had a bit of a, a, a Honky had a out. bit of a meltdown, but I think it was also tongue in cheek. At least well, I would hope it was. Well, it didn't last long because no. they, we did fail to convert on the fourth, right? Honk, mm-hmm. but then we stopped them and then and scored quickly. It was kind of a little tongue in cheek, but we've talked enough about situational football over the years. And we, and I could go through five or six games day where there were five minute segments of a game that changed it, where we right. a game we were in and all of a sudden we weren't, you know, just from a little short segment, that game against Northwestern, we had total control over and we're up, you know, 21 to, to zero and they score a touchdown. Now it's 21, seven, we score a touchdown 28, seven. They go right down the field on us. They get down to the one and kudos to the defense and Doman and, and Deontre Thomas for, for forcing the fumble. But, Really, I mean, they were one yard away from making it 28 to 14. We get the ball there after that fumble, and now we're at the midfield, and we're at the 45-yard line, and we go for it on fourth and short. or not, It wasn't even fourth and short. It was fourth and five. Well before the play, I know the crowd was wanting them to go for it. I was like, punt this. Play field position here, because if you don't get this, you're going to give them the ball back at midfield, and they get the ball first in the second half. There's no reason making this game – extending this game, giving Northwestern chances to stick in it. Cause I know, we, I know we were so much better than them. Now, as it turned out, everything, I mean, we didn't get the first in a pocket pass throw to Brody belt that, you know, wasn't going to, we had pressure on right. him and all that, but uh, defense stepped up again. We get the ball back. We do score and it's 35, seven and a half and, and everyone's happy, but that game could have been 28, 14 and a half or conceivably even 28, 21. If we don't make that one stop at the one yard line, that's how, even though we were dominating a game, you know, decisions like that are those things that can keep some of those scores closer than they should be. So I was a little tongue in cheek, a little angry at the time. Well, before we move on to defense, um, Boomer, I, I do want to just bring up Ramirez Johnson just because, I mean, Yant gets all the headlines because of kind of the debut, but Ramirez has steadily gotten better. Um, he's a very good all-purpose back, had two touchdowns, 74 yards on like 12 carries. Um, very reliable right now. And that's a pretty good one to punch if, if Ramir and Yant now kind of emerge as the guys. But uh, I don't know how that will play out. But, yeah, I mean, I think Ramir is getting better and better. Yeah, he seems to be. Uh, although we mentioned this before, when just when we think one running back is separating <laughs> yeah. themselves, suddenly it's all shuffled around the next week. So I'm going to be interested to see who they do start next week against Michigan if they think, you know, Yant matches up as well against Michigan as they did yeah. against Northwestern, or if they're going to go with Johnson and maybe let step to the field again or, or what their plot is. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, one more thing, guys, before we move to defense, um, this is for anyone, but I, I heard this notion vaguely somewhere on one of the shows today. And this is my interpretation of it, but that was interesting talking about like uh, Frost and, and Lubick's play calling and maybe how like, you know, in the past, we always had these 15 or 20 scripted plays, you know, and, and you're going to call those to start the game and then you kind of figure it out from there. But it maybe feels like because of the Big Ten's pace of play and the style of play, you don't get 80 or 90 plays. So you need to kind of start to do what works quicker in the Big Ten, right? I mean, 20 plays maybe all the way into the second quarter if you just stick with your script, right? And it seems like maybe we are getting a little bit quicker into uh, adapting to um, what the defense is giving us and not being so stubborn about, you know, what our, our first 15 or 20 plays are going to look like. Big plays help. And obviously in yeah. this game, we, we got big plays right away in, in the first two drives, a 60-some yard run and a 70-yard pass. We definitely want to get up to the line of scrimmage fast. Then we stop. You know, we get up there. There's 30 seconds on the clock. 
And then we'll turn around, we look at the sideline and we'll pace our play kind of based off of the situation at that point. That's for sure. You know, against Oklahoma, we were concerned about a high powered offense that if you make a mistake and you give them the ball, you know, and, and your side of the field, all that kind of stuff, think bad things happen. So we're going to drain clock and we're going to, you know, basically extend right. that game to the point where there's not, they had nine possessions. Some of these other offenses we're going against, we're not that concerned about that. But at the same token, the big thing is not turning the ball over on your side of the field. We didn't do that against Oklahoma. We haven't done that against, you know, Northwestern. One thing I do want to say just for, for the next game, I'm looking for Alante Brown. He started getting out there on the field quite a bit, and you're seeing him. If there's a pitch back that I could see us have some success with, Alante definitely has those skills. And the other thing is the crackbacks blocks that we're doing. I love the motion. I love everything about it. We got to be careful not to be moving forward as we're going into them. There's a couple of times where we're really inching close to moving ahead. Yeah, of yeah I hear you. It's a good point. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, we hate to see a touchdown get taken off the field because we're – basically a false start or legal motion. You can't be moving forward uh, in front of the snap. So that's something that, you know, I imagine our coaching staff is seeing on the film, working with the players on. If I was Michigan's coaching staff, I'd be watching that and going to the refs and say, look for this, pay attention to this. We don't want to be seeing guys coming forward. So hopefully that's not going to be an issue. Luckily we're not big in Ann Arbor, so they won't be picking this up. So (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Speak for yourself, Boomer. It's time to throw the bones. I think that's a physical thing and a mental thing. Um, it's a recruiting thing and a weight room thing. We needed to be bigger. We needed to be stronger. We needed to be faster. Uh, we got outmanned pretty bad a few times that first year. You know, we've got some bigger guys with upside athletic ability in here. Uh, Zach's gotten them bigger, stronger, Zach and Andrew. The mentality had to change. They needed to be tough and nasty and we're getting closer to that. So all that all that should mean you can do better up front in the trenches. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball and uh, you know throw the bones here. And maybe this will be a little shorter segment because there's not quite as much to react to, but the defense played great again. Um, you know, they, they gave up uh, a couple drives there. Honky, you mentioned, um, you know, kind of in the first late – late in the first quarter, started the second quarter. Uh, but overall, run defense was excellent. I think we had 37 yards, which really is what we kind of expected Northwestern to try to do because our quarterback play has been so horrible. Uh, Holinsky actually looked okay at times, but never really um, a game changer. And uh, a lot of uh, kind of explosive plays in the defense, right? JoJo Doman uh, with sacks and, and creating fumbles and turnovers. Um, so, again, another good performance from that defense, right, Honk? Yeah, and they're coming up with a, a number of different combinations too. Our, our linebacking core as a whole, the, the whole starters. I mean, Rymers and Henrich and Doman. I mean, the Payne and then getting Tanner out there too. I mean, there's just a lot of playmakers right now. And Nelson, they're they're getting in the backfield. We're getting sacks. We're getting pressures, and we're starting to cause some fumbles. And the thing is, these dudes are hitting. I mean, how many Northwestern linemen did we see on the ground? You know, after yeah. a play, and not that we want to see injuries, but you know, when you're being physical and this defense is being physical, it's going to cause some problems for teams. But just in, in general, I mean, what was it? At one point, I think we had them at like negative three rushing yards where we had 300 and some. So, yeah, I mean, that stop the, the run first, make a team one dimensional. I mean, that's good old fashioned defense. And uh, this one is doing well with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, going forward, you know, I mean, getting those sacks are going to be a big part of if we can really turn the corner here and can the defense take a, another step, right, Honk? I mean, I think 
I mean, that's what you got to look for and, and, and turnovers with INTs potentially or strip balls. Yeah, absolutely. When we get into like a rush situation, starting to notice like Tanner and Payne, Stilly and DeAntre out there as like a front four. And it's basically a four man front four down mm-hmm. lineman. They we're getting pressure just from bringing that front four. We're not having in those cases, like in, in these past situations and third and longs, we're not having to always bring blitzes either. And that's a good thing too. So, I mean, and when you're looking at Payne and Tanner with their hands on the ground as defensive ends, I mean, that's some serious outside speed coming. It kind of, it takes me back to the days of like Dante Jones and Dwayne Harris and Trev and those kind of guys, you know, real rush ends. And that's what they're doing there. It's real simple. And then they do a bunch of stunts and getting in the quarterback's face. One of those guys that gets in sometimes clean is Garrett Nelson. That guy keeps on making plays too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he has developed himself into yeah. a heck of a player. He's not just the the emotional guy anymore out there. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Last year, he made the big step in knowing the playbook and understanding where to be. But now he's big enough and he's developed enough. He's making plays. I mean, that's he's one-on-one going against guys and, and beating them. And that's a great, great uh, sign right there. Another good sign was getting Casey Rogers out there for the first time uh, this season. So that's going to add some depth now to that defensive line too. Yeah, I think I saw Jordan Riley out there too. Is that right, Hunk? Yeah, Riley played quite a bit there. I mean, geez, we had so many guys playing you know, a lot of snaps in that game. And that's what happens when you get up on teams. And, and Yeah, that's a, that's a good I was thing. just going to just say that. I mean, Boomer, it's a big difference. It's nice to have a game wrapped up mid-third quarter both offense and defense uh, can liberally substitute. You see a lot of these players get playing time that just just wouldn't get it in a tight game. Yeah, and that's something we've talked about for you know quite a while yeah. on the podcast. Just the fact we need to get some of those players' time and experience, and you know that just pays dividends not only for this year but you know going forward. And like I said, this game was wrapped up by halftime. You felt good about it, and you can just enjoy the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing more to be said, right? Uh, yeah, Rob. Um, looking at other defensive highlights, uh, I think uh, Cam Taylor Britt uh, might have played his best game in some ways. He was physical at the uh, corner. Um, they, they brought him in on a few blitzes, made a really great play. I think on a early, early, uh, defensive stop where, uh, he was a one on two situation. He shedded the blocker and made the tackle on a, on a play. I mean, he, he actually had a, a, a nice kind of uh, comeback game. Yeah. I think it was a third and short play um, yeah. where he did. And he came, he basically came in almost, um, reminded me of maybe of like, almost like a safety the way he looked like he was coming off because it looked like he was being blocked on the inside, almost like they were trying to stop the run. And then it was just kind of a swing pass to the outside and he was on the receiver. I mean, he, he stopped him in his tracks. I don't think the guy got any yardage on the play and, and knocked him down. And that was a great play. It was, um, it's nice to see him being physical out there. And it felt like that he had the opportunity to be that guy too, because the other corners, um, I don't think you heard their names called all night, which is exactly what you <laughs> want out of your corners, right? Like, yeah, you know, Newsom got beat once or twice on that one drive they had, but overall, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think the secondary played well. Yeah. I mean, you're always going to have one or two drives where somebody's going to get picked on and that's going to happen. But then that guy hopefully writes himself for the rest of the night and you don't hear his name anymore. And it's the same thing. I tell my son when, you know, I'm coaching his elite flag football team, you know, right. I said, I said, I don't want to see you or get mad at you the entire day. I just, I, if the ball comes your way, knock it down. Uh, other than that, you know, if nobody calls your name for the entire day, that means you're doing your job. That's what it is, right? Yep. That's, I hear you. 
Honk, any other uh, highlights from the defensive side of the ball you want to bring up? Yeah, I think there's still always some things you can work on, and we're aggressive D, and I thought that Northwestern, they tried to hit us a couple of times on little screen passes. It, again, there was one where they they threw it out there, and they had three blockers out in front, and, and Henrich made an incredible play. But if he doesn't make that play, there's a running back with three blockers in front of him, something that, you know, when you're self-scouting yourself, that's something that I think we could be susceptible to. I would also say our corners on the outside, there were times – where they were kind of getting beat deep. And if the quarterback would have either seen the guy or if he could have got the ball out to him, there were some – if I'm Michigan, I might be looking at some opportunities to do that. So that didn't affect us a whole lot, obviously, in this last game. But, uh, I mean, those are just a couple areas that, you know, keep an eye on for this game. But all in all, I mean, we held the team to seven. We had a goal line stand where, you know, we didn't just let them into the end zone, right? I mean – all those things, that's progress. And we are a hard team to prepare for. I think we're a hard team to play because we are, we're physical, but we haven't been a hard team to beat up until hopefully now, because the beating part is we beat ourselves, right? Michigan yep. state, we, we were hard to play. We hit, we did all these things and yet they still beat us. Why? Because we could go through all the things, right? We're not a hard team to beat when we're making all those mistakes. When we don't make the mistakes, we're physical we have a mobile quarterback who's playing at an elite level. We've got big receivers and, and big skill players that uh, you know are starting to kind of get their legs under them. And that's the making of a good team, a good ball club, if you can just not shoot yourself in the foot every other time. So you know, not having the penalties, not having the turnovers, the special teams actually being special at times when they got out there, they didn't have to be crazy good. They just <laughs> needed to not kill us. And uh, when that happens, I mean, some good things happen. I know Northwestern, we, as we said earlier, they're not great, but come on. That doesn't happen to a Pat Fitzgerald team either. I mean, they, yeah. they, they've had bad teams in the past that they're not losing 56 to 7. So I yep. also don't want to take credit away from this team. They earned a hell of a win against those guys. I mean, that's a, kudos to those guys and kudos to the fans. It was a fun night. I think this weekend is going to be crazy. I Iowa Penn State should be a night game. It should be the primetime game. They should have ESPN game day there. We know why it's not happening. But them not playing at night benefits us because we get a night game at Memorial Stadium in primetime under the lights, and it is going to be nuts. Yeah. No, let's talk about that a little bit, uh, Honk. Uh, I mean, what, what are the keys to that game, do you think, for Nebraska? I think Michigan comes in, uh, another uh, top-10 team. Um, they you know took care of business with, with Wisconsin over the weekend. Wisconsin's a whole other story. I, I can't believe that offense is as bad as they are, but Wisconsin's mm-hmm. defense is good, and and Michigan was able to put enough points on the board. A uh, bit of a run-first uh, offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, quarterback isn't bad, um, but maybe not spectacular. Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing for this matchup on Saturday night? Yeah, I, I think they, they lost one of their receivers to an injury early in the season, one of their better ones. Um but, you know, they ran the ball 112 rushing yards against uh, Wisconsin, and, they, and that's on 44 runs. So that doesn't sound great, but Wisconsin, for all the issues they've had on offense, they're still a Badger defense, and they rank first nationally in rushing defense, only allowing 45 yards a game. So Michigan get, getting 112 yards, that's three times their average. And to your point, Dave, that's they're going to be a run-first team. And to what we talked about earlier, we want to make a team one-dimensional. I don't care if Michigan wants to run on us. That's the thing. We got to take that away and force them to beat us another way. And I I have no doubt that we can be as – think of what we did with Walker 
Michigan State. Yeah, I was just going to mention that Michigan State wanted to run on us too, right? Yes. I mean, this is, I, you know, it sounds, it's starting to sound arrogant, right? And we're a three and three team, but we're the best damn three and three team in the country. So I'm going to get a little arrogant. Fine. Try to run it on us. Try to run it on us. This defense has proven, I think, a number of times now that that's really hard to do. I hope they keep that up. I hope they make it really hard on Michigan to try to run on due to them what Wisconsin's defense did to them. I mean, this defense, they're proving themselves now time and time again. This It's starting to become a trend there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Honk. Well, uh, before uh, we let you go, um, you have a uh, parting shot? Redcast Nation has a officially topped 15,000 followers, folks. Amazing. Uh, so we have passed Scott's Bluff. We are the 13th largest city in Nebraska now by far. We've blown them away. Watch out, La Vista. You are next, although you're growing pretty fast. Uh, <laughs> we're now taking on the Omaha suburbs, so that's kind of a problem. But keep growing. And the other thing is, it is midseason. In fact, it's a, it, there's a lot of midpoints right now. It's not just the midpoint in this season. Think of this, guys. We are three and a half years into Coach Frost's original seven-year contract. We are at the midpoint of that first one. Now, he did get an extension of a year after year one, but the point is his first seven years, when he got hired, everyone's like, you got to give a runway. You know, you got to give him that time, right? We're halfway through that. I think almost everyone would look at the first half and go, at least from a record, okay, that didn't, you know, that, that doesn't work for us. <laughs> the record that he has in the first half doesn't work. But where we're at right now, Moving forward, looking forward to the second half of that initial contract. I like where we're at right now. I like what I'm seeing offensively. I love where we're at on defense. And it is just about, it's cleaning things up. But I, I feel like we're at a good point. This second half of that, that contract, if you think of it in those terms, it's a really good spot. I think that we're finding ourselves into now. And the other thing that, you know, it's midseason of the actual season. And looking at our rushing offense, you remember, Dave, before the season, we said that we think we could get 3,000 yards rushing without a 1,000-yard rusher. Right. Right now, we have 1,425 yards, six games in. I mean, we're that close to – we're basically kind of on track to about a 3,000-yard season, which is 250 yards rushing a game. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a 1,000-yard back at this point unless Martinez really takes off, and I don't see the need because we're getting other guys involved. Right. right? Torrey looks like he might be a, another thousand yard receiver for Nebraska. We've only had one of those before. He's really close. He's just, he's like 460 or so yards. And finally, the quarterbacks have combined for 67 completions, six touchdowns of two interceptions. Uh, let's get a few more touchdowns in that number, but uh, goodness gracious. I mean, through, through half the season, I think we're trending well. Yep, absolutely. All right, Honk. Uh, great stuff. Really uh, enjoy ha- having you Back on the Redcast. Um, looking forward to uh, next week's uh, breakdown of hopefully a victory versus Michigan. Uh, but uh, let's move on to the Betcast. The Big Ten Week Ahead. All right, guys, let's do a Betcast. Uh, we have five Big Ten games on the slate, and then we'll get to our best bets. Um, let's, uh, start with, uh, Maryland versus Ohio state, Maryland, uh, got throttled on Friday night by Iowa. Um, I think that was really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, Rob, you called it, you're like, Iowa's going to win this game. You'll guarantee it. Uh, a lot of people are out there taking Maryland, uh, with the, the spread, at least they're taking the five and a half points they were giving, or sometimes uh, taking an outright win 
And uh, it was this was game was over as just as quick as Nebraska Northwestern. Um, now they go into the horseshoe and take on Ohio State, a team that got right against Rutgers last week. And Ohio State's probably going to want to make a, a statement. I feel like that they're as as good as that Iowa team. Uh, looks like a spread of twenty one points right now. Over under at sixty nine. Uh, Rob, what are you thinking? Is Tagliavoa he is he playing did he get hurt because i don't remember did he come back into that game because i kind of fell asleep watching that game. <laughs> i don't yeah i don't think he did but let me check yeah. because well, because that'll mean the difference and that and that's really where that game kind of well, fell I don't know, didn't he throw Maryland. six picks in the last game yeah. or something I, like that well i don't i don't know did they include those in his completion stats because they at this point they probably just should have um yeah i don't think ohio state's going to have any problem beating maryland um I don't think they'll have any problem covering the spread. Um, I think that the confidence that Ohio State will cover the spread will just tell you that on the money line alone. Um, sometimes, you know, it might have a spread like this, but the money line will be a little bit different or you know, a little bit. But this is just ridiculous. Here. Minus 1563 is the money line. Yeah, exactly. Put down and a the, lot of money to win $100. And the, and the over under of 69. Um, got. I, that's a tough one too, because, you know, even if there's some, like, I don't know, there's not always a whole lot of junk time points in a blowout, but this is going to be a blowout. And um, I might even just take the under on this one, just because I think Ohio state's going to control this entire game. Um, I don't think Maryland stands a chance personally. All right. Yeah. I think I probably would, would take the 21 or maybe buy it down to 20 and a half. It did open a little bit lower than that. Right. Boomer. Yeah, that's that was my thought on this. I I would definitely go Ohio State, especially if you can get it at twenty and a half. Uh, Maryland's going to have a massive hangover from that walloping they took. In fact, I I think they just threw another interception to Iowa as we're <laughs> recording this. So, yeah, that was that was dismal watching that game. So, yeah, this yeah. is going to be a hangover going into another week, especially at Ohio State. Just yeah, you can put your money on the Buckeyes. All right, all right, all right. Uh, another. Um... Big noon kickoff type game uh, is our, our friend Sparty, now ranked 11th in the country, which I, I'll continue to be amused with uh, until they start to, to lose a game or two. Uh, going into uh, Piscataway and playing Rutgers, uh, a line of only five points in favor of uh, the Spartans over under at 51. Rutgers did get blown out um, by Ohio State, but a lot of teams do that and still can, um, you know, you know, put together a decent season. Uh, you think Sparty can uh, cover the five boomer? Ah, uh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they've, you know, they looked okay to start the year, but that was against pretty substandard competition. I mean, against power fives this year, they've managed 17, 13 and 13 points. I would imagine you'll see more of the same this week. This would probably be, you know, a six or seven point Sparty win, I think. So you could. Put, okay, so we are taking Sparty, I guess. Yeah, I would okay. take Sparty in this. I think they can, they'll, they'll cover that by, you know, about a touchdown or so. So I just don't, Rutgers just doesn't seem to quite have enough to kick them over the edge. If they're not generating a ton of turnovers, they're just not, they don't quite have the firepower to compete with the big boys yet. They're playing scrappy, yeah. but just yeah. it's not there yet. You know, Rob, you took uh, your upset special last week was Western Kentucky taking down Michigan State. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, Michigan State uh, got up uh, relatively big, and Kenneth Walker got back to his old self. Apparently, uh, Nebraska's defense is actually that good because he ran all over the the Hilltoppers. 
Uh, even though Michigan State gave up a lot of yards passing, that's just because of Western Kentucky. That's what they do. I think they threw it 60 sometimes. Um, you think Michigan State uh, covers the five? Yeah, I think they cover the five. Um, it's not exasperated there, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at it. And I, Rutgers is so – it's like the tale of two teams every time I, I look at them. And, um, right. and Rob, they're just so hard to – they're just so hard for me to to judge. And especially after seeing the way Michigan State played, you're right. Um, they – I would say this. I would say that Michigan State will cover the five. But I think that um, I would take the under on the 51. Okay. All right. I could see that, I suppose. Yeah. It's interesting looking at their records against the spread. Michigan State, 3 1 and 1, that one belonging to Nebraska. Uh, Rutgers is 4 and 1 against the spread, even though they're 3 and 2 overall. So they have played kind of above what uh, Vegas uh, has given them. Um, so we'll see. Um, and a, kind of an opposite story is uh, another game in the Big Ten, Wisconsin versus Illinois. Wisconsin, one and three overall, one and three against the spread. Um, they uh, got walloped again. Uh, they just don't have enough offense. And that defense, which is excellent, as Honky was pointing out um, earlier in the show, uh, just doesn't hold up eventually. Uh, they they wilt in the fourth quarter, and uh, Michigan put up some some big numbers, just like Notre Dame did. Uh, I Boomer, did could you ever imagine Wisconsin being this bad? No, uh, that's a surprise for the season. I mean, Wisconsin's kind of like the, you know, you're out shopping with mom, and mom, I want Nebraska. No, we've got Nebraska at home, and you know they're reddish and white. So they've got a defense which is good, but good lord, that offense is just terrible, and it just yeah, it, Graham Mertz has just not performed anything like, you know, he looked in some flashes last year. And yeah, I, he might even be out for this game. I know he was injured in that Michigan game. I don't know if they've announced if he's playing or not yet. So, yeah, he, he went to the hospital. Yeah, he did, yeah. So maybe he'll play. Maybe he won't. I don't know if his backup, what Chase Wolf or whatever, is going to help at all. But they just yeah. they couldn't do anything against Michigan. I, I mean, what do they have, like 40 yards of rushing? I mean, yeah. That's exactly That's, right. Yeah, this the is not what you expect out of a Wisconsin team. I mean, they've been so consistent for how long, and it's just there's just nothing there this year. So it's yeah, their defense can't keep them in it enough because they just cannot score. So yeah, that offensive <laughs> line is as big of a problem as the quarterback. Maybe Chase Wolf um, give him a little bit of a spark because it's a change. Because it doesn't seem like Graham Mertz is, is going to get it done uh but so we had a 10 point spread here we haven't talked about the actual um lines here 10 point uh favorites were wisconsin i think it opened up at like eight and a half it's already moving in that direction over under only at 42 and a half this is in champagne uh we know how tough it is to play there right rob (laughs) (laughs) yeah that 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 student section they 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 sure are loud wild rest of the the rest of the crowd i I can tell you that's the first time i've ever been told to sit down in the first quarter of a game during the first drive of a game by the people sitting behind me um so yeah that illini crowd they sure are tough um i think that this game just ends up 10 to nothing wisconsin and it's a push (laughs) Um, push. take take the under um yeah i the announcers i think summed up wisconsin's offense perfectly uh when i was watching the wisconsin michigan game um when when Mertz got hurt, um, the guys almost paused to see who the second quarterback on the depth chart was. And they said, well, there's a reason the coaches haven't replaced him this year. And it's yeah. because they don't have anybody that they're confident in whatsoever as the backup quarterback. 
And there you have it. If Mertz isn't playing, I mean, this offense is going to be more anemic than they already are. So well, I don't know if that's possible, Rob. So I don't, I don't know. But well, you're are, right. They are playing Illinois, whose only win is against Nebraska, who, um, let's let's be honest, if Illinois and Nebraska had had their two warm-up games to start the season and then played Illinois, I think they would have blown the doors wide open off of that Illini team. Yeah. Uh, now, but Illinois Rob, did beat Charlotte this last week, so they're, they're, okay. they've got two wins now. Yeah. Congratulations. Yep. Yeah. And I will note the uh, very last tie in college football was between uh, Illinois and Wisconsin. So they, they played to a three to three to three tie. So in a riveting game that I'm sure our listeners remember fondly. So. Uh, the glory years of the big 10. Uh, that's great. Well, Rob, I, I actually think your advice that Wisconsin might win 10 to nothing is about right. I, I, I don't know how Illinois scores versus this Wisconsin defense. Uh, unless maybe it's a turnover or a, a pick six or something. And, and I don't know how Wisconsin scores against the Wisconsin offense. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think the under, even a 42 and a half might be a really good bet. That's yeah. my, my, uh, if, if my either sense. one of these quarterbacks has higher than a 45% completion percentage, I'll be super impressed. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, let's go to some more exciting uh, games here. Uh, we do have a couple of good ones here in the uh, evening slate, or actually just later afternoon slate, I should start with, I guess. And that is the third-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes hosting the fourth-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, this one uh, should be a, a classic. Um, it is uh, Iowa favored by two right now, over and under at 41 and a half. Um, I don't know, Rob. I mean, who – who blinks first here? You really have a bot into one of these teams over the other? Um, I'm going to make this my don't touch it with a big 10-foot pole game of the week when it comes to betting. Um, because like you said, who blinks first? And that's what this whole game is going to come down to is who blinks first. Um, both these teams, their defenses are just absolute monsters. Um, both of them, they're their offenses are, are sufficient enough, um, but their offense is generated mostly off of the great defensive play either way. Yeah. Right. And so I think this game is going to come down to um, turnovers deep in somebody else's territory, something along those lines, you know, maybe a fumble here and then a couple, you know, a couple rush plays, maybe some field goals, um, you know, the spread of, of uh, you know, two for, for Iowa is just basically like a pick them at this point for either for, for the entire game. Um, and I think a field goal is perfect because I think this game is probably going to come down somewhere around like the 15 to 12 sort of, you know, <laughs> shootout that, like you said, the classic big 10 football here, um, you know, maybe, maybe somebody scoops, a scoops, a fumble or runs back a pick six or something like that, but it's going to be a great game. It, it really will be the kind of football I like to watch when it comes to like defensive football. When it, when it, when I don't have any skin in the game, I love good defensive battles, just like I love a good pitching battle in baseball. Right. Sure. Uh, sure. So, sure. so it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. And, and I look forward to watching uh, that game because again, Nebraska doesn't play until the night right after that game. And, and uh, it's, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, it's a nice double hunter. Boomer, um, you know, I mean, in a game like this, I would typically take the home team, right? I mean, I think Iowa um, will have a, an atmosphere that will, will, you know, give them a few extra points. Uh, but, um, you know, they also are known to prone to, to blow these chances. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, they have in the past. But then again, so is Penn State. Um, yeah, 
the series has kind of been fairly close, you know, for a lot of the years. And yeah. I was been capable of knocking Penn State off when they least expected. And, and Honky had talked earlier today about, you know, teams starting to hit trends. And as much as I hate to say it, Iowa's defense is certainly trending as just a turnover producing machine. Hard you to know, deny. Yeah. People would talk about, you know, well, it'll come back to earth. It'll hit some mean or median and. They're plus 12 right now in turnover margin. I mean, good grief. I mean, that that's going to win you a heck of a lot of games. So, and that's just every game they've been doing that. So, yeah, it, this is going to be a fun game to watch. I wouldn't put money on it, but, yeah, an Iowa victory here would not surprise me at all. So, as no, distasteful yeah. as that is to say. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly think, uh, again, I, I, I might actually bet Iowa, to Rob's point, it's essentially a pick em. Um and so, and I just think you're going to take the home team here. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. It should be a fun one. All right. Well, let's get to the Nebraska game. This is the night game for uh, the big 10 uh, ABC uh, number nine, Michigan coming into Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, a three and three team that feels like could easily be four and two or, or five and one. Uh, and uh We've got a uh, three-point line right now. This, uh, you know, we had an interesting text thread. We tried to predict what it was going to open up at. I think, you know, Skip and I were in the four and a half range, and um, a couple different houses. Um, one opened up at, at minus one. Another one was, I think, at, at four and a half, and it settled in right in between uh, with a, a three-point spread. I think personally, it's probably going to keep on trending towards Michigan. Most of the public money is on Michigan right now, so it might bump up to to four here the next couple of days um and then maybe come back as maybe some of the sharp money comes in later on the week i don't know it's hard to say over under 52 um you know we don't typically bet on nebraska right boomer but i mean do you feel like uh this would be one that you want to take nebraska or maybe the money line at plus 140 possibly yeah otherwise i'm you know we're recording this on a monday so i might wait few more days in the week and see where that spread goes like i said if it starts yeah. drifting closer to four you know four and a half ish somewhere then you might jump on that yeah this is a tough one so again i, I don't bet nebraska so i i would kind of shy away from it here so rob what do you but, think about the the over under um obviously nebraska shot past the over last week uh this time it's a more manageable 52 um Michigan's got a very good defense, though. Nebraska, uh, when they've played Michigan State, for example, um, held that team down. Uh, that was an under. Um, I could see an under here pretty easy, huh? I could, I could see an under, but I'm actually gonna to, gonna disagree with you on that under Ooh. because um, I think. God, I'm going on a limb here, guys. This is my gut. I think Nebraska is going to carry the momentum from the Northwestern game into this game. Uh, this is the third top 10 team that they'll be playing, I think, or the th- third top 25 team that they'll be playing um, yeah, almost right. in the last, what, four weeks. Yep. Um, and quite frankly, I think that they feel like this team actually looks like they have a point to prove the way that they beat up on Northwestern last week really made me feel like this team had a point to prove. They wanted to show that they had their coaches back after a tough loss to Michigan state, after a tough loss to Oklahoma, they really wanted to show that they had their coaches back. That's just kind of the way I felt about it. It, it, The whole team came out 
there was just this attitude, this air about them. Um, I think they win this game. I actually think they win it. They win it handily. I know that sounds crazy, but I really do. And I know, I know, I know it's one of those things. It's just a gut feeling I have because it's at home. The Nebraska crowd, I, I honestly on TV, I couldn't believe how fired up they were on. I mean, it was coming through the speakers louder than any college game I've seen all season. And it was, it was awesome. And it's going to be even more so this weekend under the lights on national television. Um, you know, and this could be the game where you start hearing Michigan fans start calling for Harbaugh's job again. Uh, <laughs> That's sad, stuff. Yeah, all right. And, all and right. Uh, I do. I think. I think uh, we might even see if, if once Nebraska wins this game, I think we might even see a four and three Nebraska team crack the top twenty-five. Oh, I don't know about that, but we'll see. That that's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun build-up, right, Boomer? I think being in. Uh, having a home game, um, you know, the tailgating probably should be good. I think Michigan fans travel okay. I imagine you'll have a decent contingent just because they haven't got to Lincoln that often uh, at all, really. Um, and I imagine they will, um, you know, be out there and, and enjoying the tailgating scene beforehand and getting ready for the, the nighttime atmosphere, just like um, last week. And we'll see if uh, a, uh, a red burns brighter, thunderstruck fourth quarter um, the transition happens again, right? Yeah, that that was pretty cool again. Yeah, that they've been trying to work that into games, and finally had a night game where we were winning, and it was crazy yeah. to get the crowd pumped up for it. So hopefully, we'll see the same here. And I guess if you want to call it kind of a revenge game, if you want, for the last time we played Michigan, and what was that, twenty eighteen? It's and a just good got, point. Just got manhandled by them. So this is a chance to see how much this team has grown since then, and if you know, competing with uh, the big dogs in the, in the big 10. So yeah, here's your chance to make that statement and kind of get out of that roundabout. We've talked about it being in. So, yeah, it is a, it is a measuring stick in particular in that way, because I mean, that, that loss, I think it was 56 to 10 or something like that was kind of indicative of where we were at as a program, not just in the first year of Scott Frost, but we're kind of building towards that with the four or five years before where we just kept on, you know, losing a ground essentially. And um, that was an eye opener and it's taken about three and a half years to kind of rebuild. And we've got a lot to prove still just because we beat Northwestern doesn't mean a whole lot here. Um, whether we win or lose this game, we got to be very competitive in it and play um, the right type of physical um, big 10 football um, that um, we've been building up to. So should be a lot of fun and should be a, a heck of a game to watch and um, will be a, a great Saturday night. All right, guys, let's uh, move over to our best bets. And uh, Boomer, uh, let's uh, start with um, uh, whatever you have, maybe a, another one of those infamous uh, parlays. Well, let's see. Uh, had two of them already. I would take Ohio State, uh, you know, minus, you can get it minus 20 and a half against Maryland. I feel pretty good about that one. Uh, Michigan State, I think minus five at Rutgers. And then just for fun, uh, one of the pillow fights of the year, UConn is playing UMass. Excellent. Uh, yes, UConn is actually a three and a half point favorite. And if you look at it, they've at least tried to be competitive in some of their games and UMass might be one of the worst teams I've ever seen play. They just, <laughs> they are terrible. They're averaging like against halfway decent opponents. So they're scoring like seven points a game and they're not even good opponents per se. So I, I think they got, it was 45 to seven against Toledo. They managed three against coastal Carolina, seven against Pitt. They're, they're not good. So I think this is UConn's chance to get off the snide. You might see if you can get that at minus three, just to, get you that push in a field goal or something like that. And I mean, UConn was game 
for a few of their games and have come yeah. close. So yeah, they yeah. gave Vanderbilt a scare. So didn't they give Wyoming a scare too? I think they did. Yeah. So it's yeah. been a, it's been an interesting uh, year for UConn. So and this is their chance. So you're yeah, not getting too many more of these UConn. So take advantage now. <laughs> they responded a lot well to the firing of their head coach. Yeah. Maybe that was the spark they needed. That's right. That's right. Just getting rid of Randy Etzel is the best thing they could do. Uh, all right, Rob, what do you got? Well, I'm going to start my picks off this week again. Um, I think I'm going to just continue to ride the Cincinnati train. I love this team. Um, what they did to Notre Dame last week, just kind of, yeah. you know, what are they? They're number five in the country now. Um, you know, I don't know that anyone's going to allow them to move up much higher than that, which is super disappointing because they looked great. They're a great team. They're fun to watch. Um, they're a minus 29 spread against Temple. And I think that now that they've kind of gotten over, I'm not going to call it a hump, but now that they've gotten past Notre Dame, which was kind of like the, the measuring stick that everyone was putting out there for them. Right. Um, you know, now you start hearing people say things like, well, you know, let's see how Notre Dame ends up really being this season and, right. and all that. But you know what? It, it's it, it's just one of those situations where I think they're just going to continue to play hard because they have a point to prove now. Um, so I like them at minus 29 over Temple. Um, I also think that Arkansas um, was probably one of the more overrated teams. Um, you know, coming into last week, they got the doors blown off them. Yep. Um, I got a buddy who's an Arkansas fan and he was talking so much trash to me. And I just told him, I was like, dude, there's no way Arkansas is going to score anything against that Georgia defense. Um, I think I was right. Yes, um, you I, were. I, yeah. So yeah, I took Georgia all day on that one. Um, it was, I think it was like probably one of the only games I won last weekend. Um, so I, <laughs> I think, don't say that to our listeners, yeah, Rob. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Cause I have, I've been having great weeks and actually you that's not true. Great you know, my Friday night parlay that I, that I threw out there last week ended up winning. So yeah, um, it did hit. Yeah. I appreciate you not jinxing me on that, Dave. Um, that's what I'm here for Rob. Yeah. So I, I'm going to take old miss, um, you know, they're six and a half point favorite in this game. I'm going to take them by a touchdown. Although I will say that, um, you know, the 66, the over under on that, uh, you probably stick with the under on there as well. Um, and then there's a game I'm actually going to be tailgating this weekend, about seven or eight blocks away from my house. I'm going to go watch a potential, uh, national champion football team, uh, play the, uh, Eastern Washington Eagles. I believe they are called, uh, is playing the university of Northern Colorado bears right up the street from my house. And it's the bears homecoming, which can only mean one thing. They're going to lose and lose bad. Ed McCaffrey's, uh, <laughs> Ed McCaffrey's um, first season with, with the UNC Bears is not going as well as everyone you know, thought it would go. I've known all along it's a bit of a marketing plan for them to get fans at the games. Sure. Um, and I'll be tailgating there. My work has a nice little tailgate spot that, that uh, we've reserved because um, they are one of our uh, their advertisers for my day job. So. Um, you know, they provide us a nice little area to camp out for the day, hang out, do some tailgating and watch a football game. I'll be taking my son over over to uh, to watch that. I think we're going to get him down on the sideline a little bit for the game. So it'll cool. be fun. And um, I'm going to say take Eastern Washington all the way across the board. No one. matter what that spread is when it comes no. out on Friday night, Saturday morning, comes, yeah, you can no find the Eastern Washington, Northern Colorado. Take Eastern, take Washington. Eastern Washington. Yeah, all I don't right. think it'll be even close. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Uh, my picks of the week here. Um, Oklahoma only get, uh, you know, giving three points to Texas. 
Uh, always a, a, a usually a really good game there in the Red River shootout, right, Boomer? Um, yeah, it's still, it'll always be the shootout here, Dave. That's the truth. That's the truth. I've been down there, experienced that um, atmosphere. It is pretty extraordinary. Um, I think Oklahoma is starting to play a little bit better, and that's a really I mean, it's three points, right? So I, I, I think the Sooners are worth that. Um, also taking that Ohio State uh, uh, spread against Maryland. Uh, BYU only uh, giving five to Boise. So I think they can cover that. Boise is just not who they were, you know, have been in the past. They did have a coaching change. Uh, they lost in Nevada last week. I think they're two and three. Um, I, I think they're probably better than what that record shows, but BYU's at home and uh, getting less than a touchdown. I, I like that. And obviously I'll take the Bama first half number, whatever that is. I also won on the Bama um, under last week at 79 and a half. I did take that and that turned out well. Uh, and the last one I have is UCLA minus 16. It's a key number there to keep under 17 versus Arizona. Uh, Arizona is awful. And I think Chip Kelly, um, you know, wants to take advantage when he can to, to put up big numbers um, and he, he will drub the Wildcats. All right, guys. Uh, great show. I'm glad that Honky was uh, energetic in his return to the Redcast. And uh, I think we put some great bets out there for our BetCast listeners. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. GBR. Huda Media Production.